0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: I don't think I need to tell you guys, we're in a very weird year across the world and now more than ever, it's important for us to support local businesses. One of the reasons that we were so eager to partner with Ruback Fine Jewelry is because they're local and they've been an integral part of Kansas City for over a hundred years they've supported this city and numerous chiefs legends that have been Ruback customers for decades it's getting close to that holiday season and how the owner of Ruback, is here to help you in any way he possibly can they've set up a safe appointment only environment so that you can shop for whatever jewelry needs you might have in a quiet environment You can even set up a FaceTime or a phone consultation. You will have Hal's full attention when you come into RUBAC, and I know firsthand that it's a no-pressure environment. He'll teach you as much or as little as you want to know about the process, and he will work to stay in your budget, not push you in a direction that you don't want to go. Your dollar will go farther with RUBAC I mean, they make their own jewelry and can pass savings on to you. Set up your appointment before the holidays get here by going to rubackco slash appointments and experience the most comfortable, relaxed jewelry buying process you have ever seen.
2: What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. Kent Swanson, Arrowhead Pride. Radio Week. I am
1: so fired up about this game. I cannot wait for this week. It feels good to have that kind of energy about a game. This football team's just been running through everybody under the sun for the last two seasons, and there's a little bit of a chip on Kansas City's shoulder. It's a bus-sized chip, and here to help me talk about that and more are my dear pals. First, find him on Twitter at Chief in
2: Carolina, Maddie Lane. Let's go. Well, while Kent's over here talking about eating potato chips and relocating buses of pirates from one Western state to another, I'm just thinking, huh, even on the, coming off the bye week, the Chiefs are over here making a uh, national headline news by uh, signing cornerback DeAndre Baker to the practice squad. Craig, if I'm not mistaken, you wrote him up for the KC draft guide, No.
3: Yeah, I did. I was also the lowest grade of anybody in the Casey draft guide on DeAndre Baker, but he was a first round draft pick. We had a third round grade expected him to get drafted in the second, but was at the very bottom of the first there is a good guy to have as depth on the roster, especially a practice squad move. I think that was something that we all knew was a possibility, but I don't think any of us really expected that that was going to be the move. I think we expected a little more interest than that for DeAndre Baker, but comes over here after a tumultuous offseason that has since been proven to not be factual. So we'll see what the Chiefs get out of him, but I... Kent, what are your feelings on DeAndre Baker?
1: I wasn't a big DeAndre Baker fan. I was the second lowest grader uh, in the KC draft guy. I still had a third-round third, grade, third round grade on him. I did have questions about the athletic profile, and there was a lot of buzz about character concerns just littered you know, throughout the draft process back then. Just, just,
3: uh, yeah, just to be clear, this is before... All of the stuff that before we're talking about this, this offseason. Yeah, this is before he was drafted. There were a lot of character concerns. So, please, go on, Ken. I just wanted to make that abundantly no, clear.
1: It's important. And that's part of why, you know, like, you know, we don't grade. When we're trying to grade, we don't take character into consideration our grade. We will notate it in the KC draft guideline. You know, hey, there has been, for instance, some injury concerns or some character concerns. Um, but before all this, there was not glowing reviews about Baker. But... Low-risk, no-risk move, really. Signing Mm -hmm. him to the practice squad. And here's the interesting thing. Uh, If I'm I'm understanding this this correctly, and I believe I am, the Chiefs will have club control of DeAndre Baker as an exclusive rights free agent in 2021. That means they can sign him to a league minimum. Uh, And if they offer that contract to him, he has to sign it. So the Chiefs could theoretically have club control of a very young corner still, uh, twenty three years old. I think there is some some there's there is it's an it's a no risk, high reward move, uh on a guy that, you know, I didn't I didn't love, but like, you know, what are you gonna do? Matty, overall thoughts on this?
2: Well, since we're all over here peacocking around about having the lowest DeAndre Baker draft grade, I had the highest DeAndre Baker draft grade among the KC Draft Guide writers. And funnily enough, I think if you talk to any of us without seeing the numbers, you would come away thinking I was by far the lowest on him and yet had the highest (laughs) grade on him. Can't confirm. Like, you hated him. Well, hated the player. (laughs) So, that is where we stand. I was going to say on this podcast... Before this news happened, this news literally dropped as we were preparing to start recording this podcast for you guys right now. I was going to say that the only way I would be okay with signing DeAndre Baker was to the practice squad because I think that with his off-field issues and what I have heard about him coming into the NFL from people that got to talk to him, from his time at Georgia, what's gone on with the Giants since he's been in the NFL this offseason, I would only be comfortable signing him to the practice squad. I didn't even want him to take the place of a guy that only plays on special teams like Vicarious Keys or Armani Watts. I would rather see those guys play on the 53-man roster than DeAndre Baker at this point in time. So signing him to the practice squad would be the only way that I was okay with signing him, that I was happy about it. Didn't think it was a realistic possibility. I thought somebody else in the NFL would want him on their actual roster because he was... While we didn't love him, there's a lot of people out there that did think he was a top 50, top 75 type pick that I assumed somebody would want to sign him. They didn't. Chiefs got him on the practice squad. According to Mike Garofolo, according to Therese Paler, it looks like the plan is going to be to elevate him to the 53 man roster as he gets familiar. We'll see how that goes. But I do, I am okay with the move of bringing him in. I think we'll let Craig kind of dig in on his fit with this Chiefs secondary because I think the write-up says that he's not the best fit, but I almost think the way the Chiefs have transitioned their defensive scheme this year in the secondary, it maybe works a little bit better with playing a little bit more cover two this year, but we'll let Craig go into town on that.
3: Yeah, they've definitely played a little more cover, too. This year, they've definitely played a little more press. Spagnuolo has felt a little more comfortable getting up there, getting hands on guys, and it's worked well for Bashad Breland, Charvarius Ward, and Legereus Sneed. Those, and Rashad Fenton. I don't mean to exclude him. He's been good on the outside as well. That's what DeAndre Baker's forte is. It's press man. He isn't the fastest guy on the field. As a matter of fact, he and Rashad Fenton are almost dead even in a foot race, and that's not necessarily a good thing. But it is a situation where Baker's got good ball skills, he is good in press man, and he's very physical. We know that Spagnolo likes guys like that, which is why I couldn't ever fully rule out the fact that the Chiefs may want to go get him. But he is short, He's not particularly long, and he's not fast. Like I said, we've seen guys like LeJarius Sneed, Bo Pete Keyes, these guys that have come in that have been priorities for Spagnolo. They've added a lot of athletes in the secondary. Even Juan Thornhill was a super athlete in the secondary. They've definitely wanted a lot more top-end traits at those positions specifically. So I really did wonder what DeAndre Baker's fit was. I do think that he could fit. As a boundary, he was not good as a boundary corner last year for the Giants. Um, He almost equaled what Charverius Ward and Bashad Breland did combined last year just by himself when targeted. But he does kind of match up some of the profile of Fenton. If they want another guy on the inside that they feel more comfortable playing press man, knowing that he's going to be able to fit in the box, be able to come downhill, you know, really fit in run support, which he can then he's a guy that makes some sense. The only problem with that is they asked Rashad Fenton to drop into coverage, drop as a deep safety, a lot in that slot drop, kind of two-invert look, and that is not DeAndre Baker's forte. He is not particularly good in zone, so going to be more of a man-heavy press man corner. We'll see how they use him. I do like adding him to the practice squad and having him get integrated, though.
1: All right, let's jump into the show because it's Raiders Week. We got a lot of questions to answer. We got to start with the five star reviews though, and I do want to shout out Bushwag for saying he loves everything about the pod, other than constantly having to adjust the volume to keep Kent's prepubescent screaming from blowing out my ears. So shout out to Bushwag for that. Uh, Alex, the ATC, do you expect Legarius Need to start over Charvarius Ward when he comes off the IR? Do I expect it? No. Do I wish it was happening? Yes. Legereus Sneed has outplayed Charvarius Ward this year, um, and I don't know how close it's been uh, particularly. So I would like to see Legereus Sneed on the field more than Charvarius Ward. I don't think it will happen. Um, I will be pleasantly surprised if it does, and I think it's the right move. Swanson's Buffant, Turk Wharton. I realize it may be a tad much to ask if he's a poor man's Aaron Donald. Could he be a rich man's Ed Oliver?
2: I think that Ed Oliver is the actual poor man's Aaron Donald, and that Tershawn Wharton is the like really poor man's Aaron Donald. I think it would be a better way to go about it. But yeah, I mean, you're looking at the guys in in a similar mold. I do think kind of what separates Aaron Donald from the rest of the guys is that he's as strong as a guy that's 350 pounds, but yet still faster than anybody else his size, still quicker, and then he has obviously. Excellent hand technique and just everything, balance, power, strength, so on and so forth. Ed Oliver's not quite as strong. The technique isn't quite as refined, but he has that same level of agility. He still is very strong for his size, whereas Wharton's still trying to bring around just about every aspect of the technique. His timing is a little wonky. He just kind of looks like a guy that's going out there trying to out-athlete people with the same move over and over again. It's like, I'm not saying he can't get to near Ed Oliver's level, but I do think there is just a gap in the general athleticism that Ed Oliver has over Tershawn Wharton and then you add in the fact that Oliver's already advanced, technically speaking. You know, they're not quite close yet, but similar concepts of players. I When I first read
1: it, I thought, poor man's Ed Oliver actually works really well. So, like, I'm, I'm dead on with you, Maddie. Uh, Ephus said some really nice things, called us the champagne of podcasts, which, thank you, Ephus, uh here's his question how should i approach venturing away from a steady diet of basically just oh this was for craig by the way how (laughs) how should i approach venturing away from a steady diet of basically just light beers my entire life to dipping my toes into sampling all the different types and styles out there just go wild and blindly stab at everything or is there a good progression to take again thanks for all the amazing work
3: Everybody's palate is a little bit different. So what works for somebody may not work for you, but I typically recommend people coming off of light beers, you know, North American light lagers, go to wheats, farmhouses, saisons, you know, things like that that are a little bit more lighter, not heavy bodied, but still have a little bit more flavor and then slowly progress into like some milder IPAs. If you feel like trying a GOSA, That is a very light sour, something that you can maybe get involved in there and then slowly progress through, you know, more aggressive IPAs, porters, stouts. Or you can just go all the way and pick the biggest Russian Imperial stout that you can find and just try and chew your beer for your first real experience into, you know, major craft beers.
1: All right, Twitter time. Let's go to Techno Brad. We got some really nice little... Little shade type questions. Who'll be the first Chiefs player to reference the bus incident in the game and how would they do it? My money would be on Honey Badger with some extreme smack talk involving a bus.
2: <laughs> oh It's Travis Kelsey, 100%. The first big play Kelsey has, especially if he ends up getting a touchdown early in the game, he is absolutely hitting the bus driver dance. I have zero doubts in my mind that he is going to get up there in that bus driver's seat, he's going to open up the door, wave on the Raiders' uh, sideline to come on the bus, and then drive on away. Hands down.
3: Yeah, if Kelsey gets an opportunity to make a big play early, it's definitely him, unequivocally, if the defense comes out first, it might be Frank Clark. Now, you're not going to hear it if it's Frank Clark because the things that he's going to say are, you know, not broadcastable for, you know, CBS or Fox or this is NBC this week, but it is going to be Frank Clark. He is going to be yapping as much as he can and reminding Derek Carr that he's not going to be able to go deep on this Chiefs defense again. And it's going to be glorious, and I'm here for it. I can't wait for Sunday.
1: I could see Chris, Chris Jones's hands being on the wheel. <laughs> I, <laughs> think gonna tu- I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a team touchdown celebration where the guy that scores like pulls up, like, like up to the rest of the team and then he loads them all on the bus. And then they kind of just follow each other all the way down the end zone all the way around the Roomba. Uh, all right. Ready, aim lion. If you could design any play
3: called bus victory lap, what would it look like? And why would it involve Chris Jones? Oh, it's just all Chris Jones. Everybody else is evacuating the field and Chris Jones is just pretending to drive a bus around all 100 yards of the field. He's just going to trace the sidelines, go all the way around and about halfway around, you're going to be like, man, is this really going to continue? And about three quarters of the way around, you're really going to appreciate it again.
2: So mine does involve a defensive player, but it's not Chris Jones. I would get Ben Neiman on the field as part of the offensive team because he's probably my least favorite player on the Chiefs. He's probably the guy that provides the least, much like the Raiders. And then he would just run an orbit motion for like 40 straight seconds around Patrick Mahomes, just circling Patrick Mahomes over and over and over. And I don't really care what happens post-snap because we're definitely going to score, but we're just going to have Ben Neiman be in the Raiders bus going round and round pre-snap for 40 seconds.
1: Chris Jones and Colin Saunders on the option. Let's go. All right, Chandler W78. So are we going to see the Tershawn Wharton behind the back pass to Nick Kaiser this week? No, re- No re- response required. That's just a little bit of swag uh d silky ted who is your least favorite pl- uh raider and why is it jonathan abram uh this is gonna get me triggered because my least favorite raider is hands down jonathan abram he pretends hang on, hang like on. He's
3: before you get started i'm gonna turn down your levels like significantly oh, here yeah okay yeah, there you sh- go you go yeah, right ahead. sorry
1: shout out to bushwag talk deep talk with a deep voice <laughs> i don't know if i can <laughs> look jonathan abrams Acts like he's done something in this league and he hasn't. My man got up after giving up a big play down the field and getting a pass interference call on Tyreek Hill that didn't get called and celebrated like he did something. My man is the most, he's Jonathan Cyprian if Jonathan Cyprian was taken in the first round. He's reckless. He's dumb on the field. I'm not trying to discredit the man as a person, but he is stupid on the field. He is a reckless football player. He's gonna get his team killed. He's gonna get his other his he's gonna get other teams hurt. And I have zero respect for his game. I have zero respect for his game. He acts like he's and he and he and the man was trying to put on a show on on Hard Knocks. My man was trying to have a Jessica Simpson, is this chicken or is this fish moment by trying to pronounce Salmon wrong? It's salmon, Jonathan Abram. You know it's salmon. Everyone knows it's Salmon. No one's ever called it Salmon, but you just wanted to get attention because that's what your whole shtick is. You play, you play like your injuries are bigger than they are. You sit there rolling around on the field and then you run off the field like you're okay. Of course you do because you love the attention. Jonathan Abrams loves himself some Jonathan Abrams, and that's why he does all the stupid stuff on the field. It's because he just wants all that attention. He is the perfect villain for this football team, and I cannot wait for that box safety to get roasted by Tyreek Hill three times because my man cannot hang deep. He has to be running around in the box. He has to be trying to make plays in the line of scrimmage because the only thing he's good at, and he's not even good at it. Craig? <laughs> go shop at, at Rueback, everyone.
3: Yes, please go shop at Ruback. Um Mine is not Jonathan Abram because Jonathan Abram is actually kind of good at football. Uh mine Ow. is Derek Carr. Derek Carr is not good at football. Derek Carr sucks. <laughs> and Derek Carr whines to literally everybody that he can about how much he sucks and blocks people on Twitter and then gets his brother to come on and whine about how much he sucks and how much can, people hate him. Can I can my favorite raider or my least favorite raider be David Carr? Oh <laughs> What about <if> Derek? <laughs> uh, no, David. Sorry, continue, they're, Craig. They're all bad. He is not a good football player. The Chiefs dared him to throw deep for the first time in their life, and he got lucky. He got lucky this past time that Charveris they played. Charvarius Ward had a bad game, and they took advantage of it. Kudos. He sucks, and he's going to come back <laughs> to earth. Not Charvarius Ward. Derek Carr oh. sucks, and he's going to come back to earth, and this is just going to be the game that the Chiefs are going to beat them down because you know that Derek Carr was sitting right next to John Gruden who was like hey let's take another lap around like one was good but we should do two just cuz just cuz Derek Carr sucks
2: but I, mean, I would concur that Jonathan Abram I like Jonathan Abram actually I love his play style like I agree that it's reckless but I love the energy I like that he brings it I also agree he's a great villain he is like Ronnie Harrison for those Patriots teams like He flies around, he does crazy stuff. And, like, when you're playing him, you hate it. But when you have no investment in their game, you're like, yeah, okay, I wish a guy like that was on my team. Like, if Ben Neiman played with half that level of energy, I would be really excited at all times. So, Jonathan Abrams, not even close. Mine is uh, Derek Carr is the easy answer because, you know, like, he cried on the field and uh, he's, you know, not good at football, as Craig so elaborately said. But um, I'm going to go with Max Crosby because you all think he's good. Because you all get impressed when he gets unblocked sacks. Because you all are impressed when a backup tight end gets beat after four and a half seconds of trying to block Max Crosby. Because you all think that he chases down a quarterback rolling out to his side that he's good at football. There is a reason Max Crosby has seen a great regression this year. Teams are like, oh, I guess he's competent enough to run in a straight line. Maybe we should block him with an offensive lineman. And guess what? Max Crosby's doing a whole lot of not much else
1: wow there's a lot of built-up angst here noticeable angst amongst all of us
2: that was really cathartic if i'm being honest oh and damon arnett shout out to damon arnett but like he can't get on the field i mean i don't mean to make fun of a guy's injury but i don't think he's good enough to get on the field anyway so like shout out to him but i don't know if he counts there's like a
1: legit people I don't know how many people understand from draft season there is a legit feud between Damon Arnett and Matt Lane because Matt called him the other other cornerback at Ohio State and said he wasn't a good athlete. And then all of Ohio State Twitter, even Brian Hartline, the wide receivers coach at Ohio State, jumped in and like, You guys will see. You'll see. You'll see what kind of athlete he is. And then what did he do ran at the combine? Slow.
3: He ran really, really That's slow.
1: It. He He came in
2: with really tiny arms and ran really slow. And the Raiders still took him in the top 20.
1: I love the Raiders. Like, it's so good to hate them again. Like, they finally did something to poke the bear. You mess, you poke the bear, you get the bust, though. It's, it's, this is going to be a fun game. We're not even game previewing yet. But you already know the Chiefs are gonna beat the brakes off the Raiders on national television, and Andy's gonna be insufferable. It's gonna be delightful. And we're actually, yo. By the way, you know what? You know, you know who else is my least favorite Raider? Raider Cody. That guy is the Jonathan Abram of just irrational confidence for not being good at it. So there's, there's another one. Raider
2: Cody. We made it and through like our- 18 least favorite Raiders, and nobody mentioned Richie Incognito.
1: Man, that, that that's gotta tell you something, right?
3: The dude that tried to cut his dad's he- dead dad's head off—that's still my most interacted with tweet. I muted that thing immediately because everybody apparently found out about it at the same time. Yikes! We just spent five minutes on raiders Week, don't like. Mm. Got to be raiders that was week. Fun. Love it. added <laughs> Hunter Renfro because
2: he's like Craig's age, and he's like an accountant. Like. I think,
1: like, Craig has a more muscular body than Hunter Renfro, and somehow Close. Hunter Renfro's out here getting catches.
2: Wait a second. Why, why are you going to come at Craig like that?
1: Craig knows. Look, I, dude, me and Ben Neiman, I mean, I'm not trying to say I'm, like, an Adonis. Like, I'll, me and Ben Neiman are, are very, like, very dad bodish, too. So, I'm just saying. We should probably move on. This thing's getting out of hand. Henry Barcheck. Who is the best Sammy Watkins comp in the draft, and will he likely be on the board when the Chiefs pick at 32?
2: Um, Oh, this is a tough one. I wanted to say Rashad Bateman, but I don't think he has enough speed to be a Sammy Watkins comp. Like The problem is guys Sammy Watkins size that run as fast as Sammy Watkins that have the Elite talent that he does on any given play. The elite physical talent are not never available at thirty-two. I'd say your best comp is actually Jamar Chase. I think if I was going to compare one guy, it would probably be Chase, and he might not even be as fast as Watkins. But I think that's probably where I would draw the best comparison. I do think somebody like Chris Olave has the ability to play in a similar way, but like it. It's weird because Sandy Watkins, at his best, is one of the most physically talented wide receivers in the NFL. Like, it's not even questionable. His size, his strength, his ability to run routes, his hands, his speed, it's not, you can't match it with very many people in the NFL. So, trying to pick out a draft prospect that might be that is very rare. You don't get one every single season. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody here, but the issue with Watkins is just a lack of consistency. That's why the Chiefs, I do think, need to move on. It's lack of consistency and
1: injury. Like, but I don't think people appreciate like what peak like playoff Sam, like what peak Sammy Watkins is, is special. There's a reason he went in the top five. He's a like his peaks are special, like elite special. Uh, and he's a very he's he's very hard to comp. Legitimately, all right, we're gonna take a break and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this. Continuing to answer your questions on Twitter, Doyle asks, do you think the defense will play a better game than they did in the first matchup against the Raiders?
3: Unquestionably. I I think that this is the easiest question that I've gotten to answer all year. Um, Charvarius Ward uh, had a very lackluster game, and it wasn't from necessarily a technique standpoint although that wasn't particularly good i know we talk a lot about ward ceiling you know ward is a player ward is typically a good effort player like you don't ever really question about you know the stuff that he's doing on the field he is a guy that tries really hard against the raiders it seemed like the complete opposite I think lots of people noted that it seemed like he was jogging. like He, he seemed like he either wasn't healthy, something was going on there. There were lots of rumors out after the game about him. Guys, I don't expect that kind of performance out of him again, frankly. And I, I think that that is enough of a tide turner for this defense. The big plays that the Raiders have were the reason why they were in that game. It's not like they significantly controlled the clock. There were a lot of explosive plays, and a lot of them were right at Charvarius Ward. Charvarius Ward trying harder, being more clicked in. Like, we've seen him since then. This isn't, you know, asking him to go back to a 2019 level of play. I'm saying this year we have seen it. He just needs to be locked in, and I don't think that that's going to be a problem. These guys definitely have... A little bit of that, you know, we need to put it on these guys sort of mentality. And, you know, you hear it from Andy. Andy is a mouthpiece for that locker room. He's saying stuff like that because they're saying stuff like that. I think that that defense is going to be locked in. I think the pass rush is going to be significantly better, especially Chris Jones, who didn't really have a great game that first one either. I just think you're going to see an overall significantly better performance out of the Chiefs defense. Gregory Mack, eleven. This one is specifically for
1: Matt's PFF vanquisher lane. <laughs> That's a reputation. PFF has constantly slided several cheese players. Cough, Frank Clark, cough. <clears throat> uh, recently, they have seemingly been playing down Patrick Mahomes' season and seem very against him being an MVP frontrunner. What are your thoughts, Maddie?
2: I mean, I agree with what you're saying here. The funny thing is, I decided that before the season, one of my bits this year was going to be debunking, not even like with real facts, just debunking with random tweets, things that the analytics community says, because sometimes I feel like they're just throwing numbers at the wall, and... Not just me. I'm not going to say it's because of me. But I feel like a lot of people have done that. And some people, like PFF this year, seem to be getting like desperate for clicks afterwards. So I feel like they are doing anything they can to get people interested in what's being said. Hence why you get like four straight days of, Oh, hey, Patrick Mahomes is good, but not that good. But not bad. But kind of bad. And like, there's zero point to any of it that's going around right now. It's all... Subjective opinions trying to bring down what he's done so far because they're trying to get more people to drive into what they're trying to put out there, which is a great business model. But at the end of the day, everybody that's watching football right now knows that Patrick Mahomes is the clear cut MVP front runner right now. It's not even questionable. Even trying to go on Twitter thread rampages on why that's the case is just crazy. And then, as far as like Frank Clark, I actually think his grade the last few weeks has probably been very well deserved, and no matter how low it was, because I don't think he's been great. But I think the issue is to start the year, there was clearly some kind of bias going on. He was having great games, whether you want to look at the stats, whether you want to look at the impact, listen to what the opposing coaches said. He was having great games, getting bad grades. I do think there's a little bit of a bias from the people or person that are grading the game, going and say, hey, I don't like Frank Clark. Or, hey, I don't like that the Chiefs traded for Frank Clark and then paid him. Let's go ahead and grade him poorly, whether they mean to or not. That's the only explanation I can come up with some of the stuff they do. But again, at the end of the day, they have their their rubric, their grading rubric that says, hey, this is what we're following. They do that. Just don't take it for fact. Just because PFF says it doesn't mean that it's true. Watch it for yourself. Find other people that watch the same stuff that maybe are willing to show you their work then make your own opinion trust whoever you want but don't trust pff just because they get fancy nbc graphics because i mean hey they're a very well-run business they've earned that but don't trust it just because they say it
1: cole schrott twenty nine, twenty three. what's up boys how about tyler bray last night that's right
3: (laughs) that's absolutely right
1: (laughs) are you proud of that because tyler's big pen would do more than just throw a check down I, I'm uh, sorry. Tyler wait, Bray
3: had 12% of the Bears' yardage in that game. I don't know what you're talking about. In 30 seconds. My- on a checkdown with 50 seconds that
1: killed 20 plus seconds of clock.
3: It's not my fault the man didn't run out of score. bounds. My goodness. You guys are putting an awful lot on Tyler Bray here. Okay. All right. Well, that's your I
2: opinion. Mean, look, it's improvement. He the last time he saw the field, he lost the lead and they had to replace him. This time, he didn't lose the lead. I mean, granted, he couldn't have lost the lead, but he did it. So this is progress.
1: All right. Let's answer Cole's question. How about that? What is uh, Tim Ward's best ap- attribute? What type of defensive end is he? And would he? What would he bring if he got snaps? Um, Tim, Bo- Tim Ward's best attributes: length, Steve Spagnolo, size good effort. Uh, a lot of room to grow beyond that. Uh, did not know what he was doing with his hands. Um I don't think he's a particularly bendy player, so he's going to have to win with power at the next level. Um he's just I mean, he's he's a guy that they took a swing on with the with the size uh with the with the profile. So I don't think you really can expect too much out of him. Uh, but I mean, he fits what Steve Spagnola wants. Good effort. Good athletic, pretty good athletic profile, good size. I mean, let's see what, let's see what, let's see what they've done with it. But there's a lot of questions about him because we haven't seen him. We didn't see, he hasn't played a single snap in preseason football either last year. You got to understand that. Like he got, he got a complete red shirt last year. The The only things that we've seen from him is old dominion and his old dominion tape is not NFL caliber necessarily. He's got a lot of room to grow. Derek Vreeland, how much of a difference will the return of LeJarius Sneed make to the effectiveness of the secondary? Shemurda also kind of asked if he'll start, what he'll play. Uh, what kind of position he'll play? Where he'll play on the, in, in, in the second of those kind of things?
3: I I do think that he's going to play on the boundary. I although it's not to say that he can't play in that slot role. We've seen, you know, we've talked about his time at Louisiana Tech, his ability to play safety. That's kind of why he was lower on some people's boards. He can kind of do a little bit of everything. But as we saw in the beginning weeks of this season, his ball skills, his speed, and his length are problems for receivers on the boundary. That's going to go triple for a Raiders wide receiver group that does have some speed. Henry Ruggs is a very fast player. Uh, you know, Brian Edwards is a very physical player. You got a group of guys that likes to go up and get the ball. Darren Waller is going to be out there against the corner as well. You want your length to, your speed and your dynamic guys on the outside, I think that that best suits Legereus' need. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if they're going to try and kick a guy like Bashad Breland, who has played in the slot before. He played there in Green Bay two years ago. They're going to try and kick him inside. Or if there's just a straight swap for a guy like Charvarius Ward on the outside, which I I wouldn't necessarily do because I think Ward's physicality actually translates really well to the next couple weeks. We'll see what happens here, but I do expect he's going to come in. I think he's going to start or at least be in heavy rotation on the outside there because I think he's a really, really, really good matchup for this Raiders team. And I think he's going to come up with a couple of big plays. You're going to see an immediate impact.
2: I hope that he gets to come in and earn a lot of playing time, whether starting or just being heavily rotated as early as this week, but as soon as he's kind of game ready. Because what I think putting Steed out there does is it allows your defensive coverage shells to just play a little different. You finally have a guy that isn't at threat to get just simply outrun every single rep. When you have Charverius Warden, Bashad Breeland or even Rashad Fenton as your outside corners, On either side of the field, on any given rep, there is a chance that they miss a press or they get caught slightly flat-footed and just simply get outran even by relatively average speed-wide receivers. With Legereus Sneed, that's kind of out of the way. You don't have to worry that he's just going to get outran. Yeah, he could still get beat deep, but he has the speed that you don't have to provide safety help all the time. Putting him on the field against a team like the Raiders that have Nelson Aguilar, who's been a relatively good deep threat this year, that have Henry Ruggs, you just trust him to cover them vertically. You don't have to put safety help over the top consistently. I think it makes playing kind of that challenging Derek Carr to throw vertically a little bit easier when you have his speed out there. And I think that goes for every single game. I just, I do think the Chiefs' secondary lost a little bit of what they wanted to do with the safeties when he went down because you have to start protecting the corners a little bit more.
1: Benny J 86. Who is your second half of the season breakout player not named Mahomes or Kelsey?
2: Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think that the Chiefs have been purposefully keeping his workload a little bit lower. I think they have purposefully gone out of their way to not design too much for him as a receiver. I would have liked to have seen more, but I think that they are saving specific stuff with him and especially touches. I think it might not be until the last three, four weeks of the season, but I think you will see a pretty good uptick in his usage or his type of usage and then coinciding with that, his effectiveness. I do think you are going to have multiple weeks this back half of the season going into the playoffs where Clyde O'Joulair kind of plays a really key role how when this offense gets rolling.
3: I'm going to take the easy one. LeJarrius Sneed. Uh, I mean, he's going to come in. I think he's going to make a significant impact, much like he did at the beginning of this year. I don't think that anything has really changed for him. I think he's going to come in and be able to play at a ridiculously high level. His best attributes are still going to be there. This injury is not going to slow him down. And I think he's going to make a significant impact on a good, you know, an already good Chiefs pass defense. They've got some serious opponents coming up here that love to throw the ball. I expect Legereus need to put his, you know, put his stamp on the rest of the season.
1: Kind of, it, I'm going to go with another rookie and it kind of feels like just full full on, just kind of feels like bye week late in the season, getting to come back from that. It always is a good refresh for these rookies and then they come back and teams have a different plan for them. They have a, maybe they're going to add a little bit more. And I think you could see that potentially with Willie Gay. I'm going to go with Willie Gay on this. Um, I think, so we're going to all go with rookies here. But, you know, Willie Gay, you know, he's, he's gotten a, a little bit more opportunity than he did with the beginning of the season. I could see the Chiefs evaluating their football team and deciding to let him make some more mistakes playing on the field. Uh, and if that's the case, you know, there might, be some, there might be some more mistakes just coming along. But I think by the end of the year, I think you could see a really strong, uh, you know, end of the season from the Mississippi State linebacker. One quick thing. This is just like a little mini rant. Everyone, uh, I wrote. we wrote that article about team needs. And look, I linebacker, yes. I understand everybody thinks linebacker is the number one need on this football team. Anthony Hitchens isn't going anywhere. And Willie Gay is going to get opportunities to be the second highest snap total at the linebacker position. So you're going to be looking for a third linebacker. That is not going to see the field nearly as much as those two. Those two are firmly entrenched in 2021 as your linebackers. You may not like it, but it's get over it. <laughs> I don't know why you spend a high pick on a guy that's going to play the third most snaps at the linebacker position. The running back of the defensive line. Hey hey, 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 hey,
3: don't, hey, don't you be dissing Micah Parsons and Dylan Moses and all these fellas that I want on my football team.
1: Linebackers don't matter. Jeff Pars, if we just pretend Turk Wharton is our second round pick and Willie Gay is the undrafted free agent, does it make his, his usage more tolerable? When do we stop using the excuse that he's learning the playbook for more playing time? What a transition.
3: Uh, When he learns the playbook and gets more playing time. (laughs) I I mean, it, it is what it is right now. That's what those coaches have been telling you all season long that, and I mean, you watch him, he's, he's a little bit lost with some of the things you watch Anthony Hitchens having to tell him where to line up. He's not the only one. That's not saying that he's having to sit there and hold, Just Willie Gay's hand, but when Willie's on the field, he's having to do an awful lot of coaching. That's just it. It limits Anthony Hitchens when you're having to have him basically hold Willie's hand the entire time. I still want him on the field. Let him learn. Let him learn trial by fire. But that's obviously not what the coaching staff feels like. I wish they would. Um, Turk Wharton. uh, Turk Wharton is good. Turk Wharton is not necessarily. Second round good. I mean, he he looks good. I part of the reason why we love him so much is because he's a UDFA and he's going to be on this <laughs> roster for the entirety of his UDFA contract. Like he's he's already shown enough to where he's worth The, you you know, whatever amount of money they gave him, they could have spent an asset on him and it would have been just fine because he's making an impact. We love the effort. We love what he does. There's a guy right there. The coaching staff has told you he's in his playbook. That's why he's on the field. So I I think you're going to see a lot more dime reps as they get, you know, Pinnell naughty in the game a lot more. You're seeing a lot more base heavy stuff. Turk Wharton snaps will go down a little bit but he's making the most out of him because he's a good pass rusher.
1: This happens a lot and like I we're geeked I'm geeked out about Treshawn Wharton an undrafted free agent that the Chiefs found as a rotational player but I wouldn't take a pick pick him in the second round. There is a defined role for him and it's not second round value. That's not but that doesn't like we all love Treshawn Wharton. We're geeked about him being on this football team. It's just he has a specific role that the Chiefs have that you know he's under club control for the next few years. And you know, that's why we're excited about him. But I, it's kinda weird. It's like you get excited about players, but maybe like second round is like that's a that's a big pick. And Trishon Wharton's not up to that. He's still a rotational defensive lineman with a very defined set of skills. Ball game twenty-one thirty-two. Uh the Raiders defense has not been as pathetic as years past. We saw them getting multiple pressures last game without blitzing much. How do you see Andy countering? I would say a trademark screen game, but without blitzing, I am not sure that's the answer. I don't think that the screen game is necessarily the answer for this. You do it with ultra-aggressive defenses. Um, I Honestly, a lot of what the Chiefs did the last time is going to work. There's just some execution. If they execute a little bit better, if Mahomes doesn't drift in the pocket some if they protect a little bit better they're going to score 50 instead of the 34 that they scored the chiefs the the raiders didn't beat the chiefs the chiefs beat the chiefs there's i, I they're going to they're going to they're gonna move the ball without any problems whatsoever uh and it's going to be embarrassing and patrick mahomes is going to throw some shade at the raiders on national television and he's going to throw like six touchdowns and it's still going to be like should kyler murray be the MVP? neil geisler Derek Carr sacks and picks this week over under two. Wow. That's very low bar. Give me the over two sacks and two picks. I'm taking, I'm taking a push on both.
3: Let's go. I I mean, I'm, I'm going to go over as well. Derek Carr to date averages just over a pick. Uh, Every game that he plays the Chiefs, and then you're going to have a next level, you know, an amplified situation here. He's taken 33 sacks against the Chiefs, 33 in 13 games. I'm going over on both.
2: I think it's a pretty easy over when you combine the two. There's, I think there is zero chance that you get out of this game without Derek Carr getting... It sacked and throwing interception combined twice. There's just no chance. He is pro- more likely to get sacked twice and throw two interceptions than he is to have less than two combined.
1: Derek Cartier is over under two. Over. Hammering it. Uh, shout out to Bully Salt, who Maddie frankly kind of dunked on about his Max Crosby question. Uh, I did, Bully
2: Salt, I want to say I did not know this question was coming he doesn't read ahead. <laughs> I did not know a Max Crosby question was coming. I will say that he should have been drafted higher than he was, but I still have doubts that he can beat any blocker one on one.
1: Love you, Molly. Andrew Nagel asks Is there any underachieving underachieving player the Chiefs need to play his best more than Frank Clark for the rest of the season? He's not been bad, but he's not been $100 million
3: good either. I mean, yeah, I, I think we all agree. Look- Agree with that. Maddie has been talking a lot about it recently as well. Frank gets a lot of attention, sure. And he's not done enough with his one-on-one reps, frankly. I mean, he has little streaks. He has matchups that things go well for him. But it's been... It's not been as consistent as we'd hoped when he started this season because he looked like the player that he finished the season in the playoffs, the guy that was just dominant and was wrecking game plans. The start of the season, that was the case. It has not been the case since. I don't know what's going on with him. It's not necessarily a super focus on stopping him that you know it was at the beginning of last year when he was playing hurt. Now teams are isolating him. Teams and he's not winning those matchups, he's gotta step up. This is a prime game for it. A guy like Derek Carr that wants to get the ball out quick, that hates being hit, that hates being pressured. If you make him have to, you know, pay attention to his blind spot at all, then he's going to be inaccurate. You're going to see him throw picks. You're going to see the Derek Carr that we all know and love as Chiefs fans. Frank Clark can start the season, you know, start it right back up here, finish strong and still be well worth every bit of the money that he is. I, I I mean, I hate talking about money that way, but yeah, he hasn't played up to what our standards for him are.
2: It's essentially been since that first Raiders game that Frank Clark's kind of gone from this guy that was relatively dominant to start the year whether it was just as a or not just but as a run defender and then as a pass rusher especially in situations where you knew the opposing team had to drop back to pass he had been really good that raiders game came along he didn't do hardly anything in that game and since then he's just had a hard time getting back on track as a pass rusher i do think that you saw some situations this past week versus the panthers where he was able to turn in you know back to back good reps I don't think he's been quite as bad as the narrative is as a pass rusher, but it hasn't been good. It definitely has not been good. He's not winning quickly. He's kind of resorted back to only being a speed rusher, which is how he played last season when he was dealing with some injuries, and that's just not his game. He has the ability to win with speed, but that's not when he's at his best when he's trying to funnel everything through his kind of speed and rip. So I don't know what's going on with that. I do hope that it gets better. I am looking forward to him getting better. Maybe coming out of the bye week, maybe he's feeling a little bit healthier. The good news, though, is Frank Clark, even not playing at his best, still gives you one of the best run-defending defensive ends in the NFL, and teams still treat him as such. He has some bad reps in there, not as many good reps as he had to start the year but overall, he's still one of the best run-defending edge players in the NFL, and that's at his worst. So it, you do have a very high floor, and the ceiling, as we've seen in the playoffs, or to start this year, is just as high.
1: Shout-out Hunter Air 115 who asked about Yassir Durant. We've answered that uh, in the last week, and he, I'm very happy Yassir Durant's here. I'm very intrigued by him. He might ultimately move to guard, uh, but he held his own at tackle. Uh, for an undrafted free agent guy getting his first reps and getting thrown into the fire in the middle of a game. I, there's something there, definitely. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited that he's a part of this football team moving forward. Sean W. now asks, Love the podcast, and I want to know how good is this Raiders defense? Stats-wise, they don't perform. When I watch, they seem to just get it done. Am I just messing with my own head?
3: Uh, no, you're not messing with your own head. It just depends on what games you've watched. I mean, like, you, you look at the teams that they've played. they played some bad teams. Like, I mean, they they played the Broncos recently, and the Broncos can't get out of their own way. Drew Locke was awful. Couldn't hit a wide-open receiver if he had to this past weekend. You hate weekend. to see it. I mean, it, if Drew Locke is even remotely accurate, then that game is... Not the way that it is, but I mean, like the Browns a couple of weeks prior was just an absolute terrible game weather-wise. It was just a gross game overall. But the rest of the time, like the Bucks put up 45 points on 454 yards on them. I mean, the Chiefs put up you know 413 yards and 32 points on them. like. You see the good teams that they play. Eh, Heck, the Patriots even scored 36 on them with 400 total yards. These teams that are decent, that execute well, will just score at will on this Raiders team. Yes, the Chiefs offense shot itself in the foot in the second half of that game against the Raiders, but that was their own doing. That was something that they did not execute properly. I don't think it's anything that the Raiders defense is doing particularly well Outside of some decent rushes every once in a while, that's realistically the only spot that they've been any sort of good. The secondary is gross, the linebackers are gross. I think that a good team takes advantage of them and could just hang points at will.
2: The Raiders defense has holes on the front line, the defensive line, at linebacker, and in the secondary. They don't really have playmakers, they don't have. When you've got to point to one defensive player on their team that is top 5, top 10 at their position, you're going to be struggling to do so. So no, it's not a good defense. I do think they're pretty well coached. I do think they play with a lot of energy. They do play with a little bit of an edge. A lot of that is Kent's favorite, Jonathan Abram. A lot of that is the coaching staff coming from John Gruden. Like They try really, really hard on defense. They are going to give it their all. They did a fantastic job adjusting to the Chiefs at halftime. The Chiefs did shoot themselves in the foot, but they did a good job changing over what they were doing. But in terms of talent for talent or even scheme for scheme, this defense is definitely not ready yet to be a big player in the NFL. And I do think you see that when you watch them for a whole game against non-bad offenses. They're trending the right direction, but they're not ready yet, I don't think, to hang with the big boys in the NFL.
1: All right, that is going to do it for the mailbag edition of the AP Laboratory. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back to preview Sunday night football against the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll catch you later.